Yes, Lord. Father, we just want to thank you for today's study. I want to thank you for all that we would learn. And I just pray that uh, even in the midst of our teaching, in the midst of our discussion, that you would reveal your character to us, um, that we would know for certainty the things that we need to know about who you are and your way. I ask that uh, you speak to each of us, O oh God, even about areas that we're uncertain, areas of anxiety about you, that Father Lord, through tonight's teaching, I pray that faith and trust in your goodness, Father Lord, will be reinforced tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, and welcome once again to those that are joining us uh, for the first time. Um, Ose, it's good to have you. I'm the person that responded to that email um, in a rush. So I didn't put my name, so my apologies for that. But it would be nice if you can stay after the session has ended. So that way we can get acquainted as well. Um, so I think Ose is joining us all the way from the US. And um, we've got somebody else also here from the US as well, uh, Vinny. Um, so it's always good to, to, to meet our friends uh, stateside. But yeah, so for the benefits of those that are listening to this um, on recording, I've just showed a clip uh, by a lady called Ariel Fitzpatrick. Um, and I'll probably put the link in the uh, podcast uh, description as well as on the YouTube video. Um, but yeah, it just... Um, just to say a few words as to why I showed that particular video. So I remember the first time I saw this particular clip, and by the way, I will welcome your feedback as well. I remember the very first time I saw this particular clip, I thought, gosh, why would you say that about God? As though God is a patty pooper, you know, as though God is a showstopper. God is this person that doesn't want you to have fun. And now that you're about to have fun, you feel surprised that, oh gosh, this is, you know, unlike God's nature for you to, you know, for him to say yes your request by the same time there was that element of guilt within me as well because a lot of what this lady has sort of dramatized represents how i felt about my relationship with god at the very beginning stages it literally felt that everything i brought to god i was always getting a no and it felt to some extent that gosh you know how am i am i going to ever enjoy my christian experience am i going to ever enjoy what it means uh, to be a christian however I found that in the last three to four years, there's been a shift in my relationship with God. There's been that sense in which now I'm actually looking forward to what God wants me to do to the extent that I don't want to do anything if I feel God is not in it. And so the story that she's told here really represents the way my personal relationship with God has always been uh, at the beginning where I, it felt like you know, God's will or God's purposes or God's character was that of a person that just didn't want to enjoy life. That, you know, anything that I considered good or nice or best, God didn't want me to have it. And the only thing that God wanted me to have was something that includes suffering, that includes pain, that includes a very, very boring life. But I've since found out, um, I haven't grown in the Lord, that actually that's not the case. And I'll just throw the question out there that, you know, does anybody relate to uh, this particular uh, drama uh, from this lady uh, based on the experience with God, uh, whether now or before, you know, another way of putting it is, do you, have you ever found God or feel that your relationship with God is in such a way that you feel that God is taking away anything that has to do with party, anything that has to do with excitement away from your life, that God's will and God's purposes is going to be very dry. So the floor is open for contribution from anyone. Um, again, I'm not going to call on anyone, so anybody can feel free to come off mute if you want to share. So the floor is open. 
I'll share. Um, so probably a couple of things actually. Um, so the most recent, and it just, and the two examples I'll gonna, I'm gonna give is one happened years and years and years and years and years ago, and the other is probably more recent, and it just shows how I'm still learning about God. So, um. The one more recent is really to do with the podcast that I launched not long ago and how it took me a long time to realise that it was actually God that gave me that, let me call it, that idea, that concept, that vision to do it. And mainly because I thought, oh, this is just too good to be true. It's like a dream to do this. I didn't realise that actually God gives you the kind of dreams that you think, no, that's just too too nice to do, forgot to give it to me. So um, that's more recent. And then I just thought it was from myself. I didn't realize it was from God. That's my, that's the point I want to make. And then I would say that um, the one that is what I would say quite long ago, but really highlighted how I didn't, how much I, or how little I knew of God was how he revealed to me in a dream that, um, my understanding or the picture I have of him is wrong and it was more like I saw him as a judge you know someone that was quick to you know to judge quick to discipline and that wasn't who he was so yeah thank you so much uh Mary uh, on that <laughs> and you know that's part of the things we're going to be exploring tonight because I do find that sometimes there's sometimes a perception especially among Christians, that when it comes to missions work, for example, God will send you to a remote village that you would have no interest in whatsoever. And it's to be a very difficult, hard slog. And it's not to say that sometimes Christian service can be difficult, but it's just to say that actually when God is sending you, you probably find joy in, in, in that process. So yeah, so we reflect on what a lot of what Miriam said. Uh, does anybody else also want to share how their perception of God has changed or how they feel they view God? And I mean, this calls for honesty. You know, we're not here to judge one another. It would be nice for people that to, to say things that is unexpected on their perception of how they perceive God. I'll go. Yes, please. Yeah, mine's really quick and it's a bit similar to Mary. Um, I think there were times where I felt like I couldn't pray or I couldn't go to God to pray because he would say no. Um, and that was something I, I grew up with in my household, like my dad for example, I just hated hearing him say no. So um, there'll be times where, like, not that I wouldn't pray, but I would pray very without like the heart in it and without power, um, sort of like go like wimpy sort of prayer. And um, over time, as I've gotten deep in my relationship and still am growing, um, I'm realizing that God, God's nothing like that, and He knows what I'm going to ask before I ask Him. So. <laughs> <laughs> a bit pointless me not saying anything <laughs> good thank thank you so much uh Susanna for for sharing um yeah sometimes our relationship with our early, earthly fathers has an impact on the way we view God as, as a father as well all right so we'll start with an opening text uh, which is based on uh, the book of Jonah uh Jonah chapter 4 uh, from verse 1 to 3 so the book of Jonah is in the Old Testament uh, and Jonah is one of the prophets that God used uh, to bring about a change in a city called Nineveh. So that's Jonah 4, verse 1 to 3. Jonah chapter 4, from verse 1 to 3. 
and I will read. And just for the benefits of those that don't know the story of Jonah, um, Jonah was a prophet that God gave a mandate to, to go to a city called Nineveh, um, because God wanted to bring about a destruction on the city, largely because of their sinfulness. Uh, so the people of Nineveh had sinned against God, and rightly so, God wanted to bring judgment. However, because God did not want to actually bring judgment on the people, he sent, Nineveh, uh, he sent Jonah to them to say, uh, to preach repentance. Uh, so that way, God doesn't bring about the calamity that he wanted to bring about the people. However, Jonah didn't want the people to repent. He actually wanted them to perish. Um, and as we all know that story, that in that process of Jonah running away from God's assignment, he got swallowed up uh, by a whale. And he came to his senses, went to the place that God had sent him to. And in chapter 4, this is where now Jonah is lamenting about why God did not bring about the calamity because of the people's repentance. So if I can get a volunteer to please read uh, Jonah 4 from verse 1 to 3. The floor is open for any volunteers to please read for us. I don't mind reading. Yes, please go ahead. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That that is what I tried to forestall, forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, so to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Thank you, um, Sabrina. I mean, you would have thought that an evangelist um, <laughs> or a prophet would rejoice when sinners repented and God changed his mind about uh, judging them. But alas, that wasn't the case in, in the case of Jonah. But one thing I find quite interesting, and I know we've looked at this word before, and this is in uh, verse 2. It says, I knew that you are a gracious God. So there was something that Jonah knew about God's character that actually made him go the other way around. So imagine you've got a friend that knows your character so well in a particular situation, they don't want you to do what you're about to do. And because of what they knew about you, they've taken a particular uh, step. And so Jonah was so confident uh, about God's nature that he took a wrong action based on God's nature. And, you know, the word no was something that we more or less defined um, in, in, in the very first um, uh, uh, part of this particular series, where we define the word no in the, in, the, in the Jewish context to mean having a close intimacy with someone. So we have someone like uh, Abraham, not Abraham, um, Adam. The Bible talks about how he knew his wife. Um, and of course, what the Bible refers there in, in Genesis is about a sexual union that Adam had with Eve. And in the context of us knowing God, it's about us knowing God so well, almost as though the way a child would know a parent or the way a husband would know his wife or the way a wife would know their, their spouse, Such having such an intimacy with God. Now, I know there's this question there that somebody's asked, you know, what is the topic for tonight? The topic for tonight is the nature of God. What is God like? Uh, the nature of God. What is God like? And so in the context of what we've just read, there are four things that Jonah mentioned. And what I find very interesting about those four characters or nature of God is the fact that these four things are actually repeated literally throughout the Old Testament. So Jonah mentioned how God 
was gracious. And this is in verse 2. So Jonah 4 verse 2. It mentioned how God was gracious. It mentioned how God was compassionate. It mentioned how God was slow to anger. And it mentioned how God was abounding in love. And what you find in this study is the fact that these four attributes, and of course there are different permutations of this, is literally repeated at different times in scripture. So let's explore this four uh, character traits of God. We'll start with Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Exodus 34, verse 6. Now I'm going to ask the volunteers to read this time just because it's easier to keep track of time and just allocate the scriptures easily. So if Susan, if you can please get Exodus 34, verse 6. And once you find it, please read it. Okay, so Exodus 4, no, 34, verse 6, and it says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Amen. Do you mind just reading those four or four or five attributes that you've mentioned? Yes, compassionate and gracious, slow, ab abounding in love and faithfulness. And I think you said slow to anger, if I'm not mistaken. Anger. Okay. Sorry, yeah. Thank you. All right. Uh, Vinny, can I please ask you to read Numbers 14? Uh, so Numbers is just three um, books away from Exodus. Numbers 14, verse 18. Numbers 14, verse 18. Again, we're looking at how the Bible uses this four attributes. And of course, it talks about different other variations of it. Uh, repeatedly uh, throughout scripture. Numbers 14, verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children of the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Thanks for that. Um, what we find before the punishment comes in is it talks about again, how God is slow to anger, abounding in love, gracious and compassionate. Again, as I mentioned, he uses different variations of that. Um, can I get, uh, Jose, are you happy to read for us? Sure, I'll read. Um, Psalm 86, verse 15, please. Psalm 86, verse 15. Psalm 86, verse 15. One second. That's verse 15, right? Yes, please. Okay. I'm reading from the NIV version. But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Thank you. Again, we see that those particular attributes listed um, again. Um, Mary, can I please ask you to get Psalm 103, verse 8. Psalm 103. Verse 8. Okay. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Amen. So again, we see the repetition of those attributes uh, again. Uh, Falakem, if you're there, can I please ask you to get Psalm 145 verse 8. Psalm 145, verse 8. I'm just um, 
with my painting quickly, just leaving. Can you just um, All right. come back? Okay. Sorry. No problem. Yeah, that's fine. Joe, can I please ask you to get Psalm 145, verse 8? Psalm 145, verse 8. Um, NIV version I'll be reading. Yeah, that's fine. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. Amen to that. I'm hoping that mm. uh, the fact that we're re reading exactly the same thing is gradually um, sinking in. And then finally, um, Sabrina, you, can you please get the last one, which is Joel 2, verse 13. Joel 2, verse 13. Joel 2 verse 13 says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Amen to that. And it's interesting that I'm just going to do a slight segue here into the very last thing about the relenting from sending calamity. It's almost as though God's heart is for people to do well. You know, I know some of us have school teachers that or colleagues that they are looking for an excuse to get rid of us or even friends. Sometimes people tolerate us. And, you know, I mean, I'm not sure if you've ever been to a party where somebody's about, I mean, they've had that conversation, that conversation has overrun its course and they are looking for the next opportunity to get a drink as a way of excusing themselves. That's because they are bored of you. But God is not like that kind of a character or person where is looking for an opportunity to get rid of us. And that, when he talks about is, is he wants to relent from bringing calamity. The reason why there's calamity in the first place is because he has to judge sin. You know, the Bible talks about how the wages of sin is death. You know, there has to be judgment for wrongdoing. Otherwise, you know, there wouldn't be balance in this world. There has to be an aspect in which people have to face consequences for their actions. Mm -hmm. However, God's desire is not to bring about those calamities not to bring about the judgment is in its desire is literally for his people as well as for sinners to come to a place where they can experience his goodness and what i also find very interesting is even in the midst of god judging people i mean we see this in the case of adam and eve part of the reasons why god sent them away from the garden is so that they do not eat of the fruit of knowledge of uh tree of life because as it is once they sinned you know sin or death came into the world. Literally, their body will start decaying. But if they hate of the tree of life, it means that they will live forevermore, but in a very bad state. And so one of the things that God did, even in his goodness, was to send them out from a place that they would experience decay and calamity. And so just to emphasize that thing about God relenting from sending calamities just because God's very heart is for us to prosper. God's very heart is for us to do well. And so even though sometimes you might find it hard to reconcile, especially when God says no, like that woman said, everything that God says or does for us is literally out of his love. God's no is out of his love. God's yes is out of his love. It's not because God is a showstopper, as sometimes we might feel is. It's just because God really cares for us. I, I know there are some parents uh, on the call tonight and what I do find about parents is sometimes because of of what the, your love for your child you might say to your child you know what you can't have sugar all the time or you can't drink you know uh, fizzy drinks because it will make you hyper now a child will look at that and think to themselves 
you know, mommy doesn't like me. Daddy doesn't like me. Why is it that when I want to have sugar, they always say no. But the reason why you as a parent, you're doing that is because of the love that you have for that particular child. So before we look at the individual character, what does graciousness mean? I just want to submit to us today that everything that God does to us or for us is literally out of this for nature. So regardless of what we go through in life or what we experience, my desire for us tonight is for us to be anchored in this four attributes so that whatever comes our way, we can be assured that literally God is always for us. All right, so let's look at the very first character. So I'm going to use the Jonah 4.2 as the list that I'm going with. And so there are four things that Jonah mentioned. God being gracious, God being compassionate, God being slow to anger, and then the last one is abounding in love. All right, so I'll repeat those again. Graciousness, um, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. I'm just going to pause there uh, to give us time to reflect, and perhaps anybody has a comment, any questions that they want to raise uh, before we explore each of these four attributes. All right, so there's going to be a few minutes of silence, or maybe seconds really, uh, for anyone to comment if they wish to do so. I feel like since God is um, um, omnip omnipotent, um, omnipresent, um, he knows the consequences of our prayers and what we want. So his no is always a gentle love, like, no, you can't have that right now, or no, it's not in your best interest at the moment. It's always out of love. Like everything he does is out of love. Even when he is making us or punishing us for things, it is still out of love. Just like when your parents used to spank you. It's out of love. Thank you so much, uh, Vinny. And indeed, it's, it's, it's out of love. What I do find is when you're in the middle of it, you don't sometimes recognize the love. Uh, because our emotions are all of the place. You don't, but I, you don't I, see it that way. You don't see it that way, no. But I like the way you emphasize it. It's always out of love. Whatever God does to us is always out of love. Um, Susan, I saw your hand up. I'm not sure if you wanted to say anything. Go on. You know you want to say something. I'm going to say it then. Um, no, it was kind of like on the back of what Vinny is saying um, and yourself. Um, and it makes me want to know more about God because I think... It makes me think of the times when I've asked God for things and it's like, it's a no, but it's, we, I hear it's out of love and I'm not disputing that, but sometimes you think, well, why? <laughs> like why, even, even though it's a, in the word of God, it says that it's good to have this thing. So, so it, it just makes me want to know a bit more about God in terms of, okay, no may be to protect us, but can you tell me more? Like why, why? If that makes sense. <laughs> it, it does. It does. And if it's okay, can you please remind me for us to explore that question of why does God say no to certain things? So that, because uh, I know that's always a juicy one, because I'm sure a lot of us have had no's before. And we know that feeling of, I mean, I've had a no once before and I cried actually. Um, but anyway, we'll keep it moving. So, yeah, so the first one is gracious. So, what does it mean to be gracious? Um, and I had to use Google for this one because the Bible concordance couldn't quite give me uh, a definition. And it just means being kind and pleasant, especially towards someone of a lower social class or status. So being kind and pleasant, 
especially towards someone of lower social status. And again, we have to say that this is also quite linked to the other attributes. And if you've been in church for some time, you probably would have heard the word grace. And the way we sometimes define grace is unmerited favor. In other words, God gives you something, not because there's anything about you that deserves that thing, but because of his love, he bestows that thing to you. Okay. And, and a good example of this is when King David in 2 Samuel 7, 18, verse 9, 18 to 19, 2 Samuel 7, 18 to 19. And this is what David said concerning how God literally take, took him from being someone that looked after sheep that no one recognized all the way to him becoming a king over Israel. And this is what uh, David said in 2 Samuel 7 from verse 18 to 19. And it says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who are my sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you've brought me this far? Again, let's bear in mind that David's family, they, they, they were never on the roadmap. In fact, the reason why we know about David was because God had rejected Saul. So God was the person that God chose to be king. Saul forfeited the throne by his disobedience. And God had said, I need to find a man after my own heart. So David was never, never really in the plane. And in fact, when God sent Samuel to David's family, the Bible talks about how Samuel instinctively looked at the firstborn and thought, this is the person that God has chosen. Just because his stature was big, he had you know, the physical credentials of what it means to be a king. And he literally went through all the different brothers of David and God still said, none of these people is the one that I've chosen to become king. And so as far as human beings are concerned, David wasn't necessarily the chosen one. However, Samuel had this thing to say, you know what, isn't this, do you still have another son? Because as far as Samuel knew, there was someone that was meant to come from David's family that was meant to be king, but all the people that, you know, the father presented to me, none of them God has chosen, then there must be somebody else. And so from David's perspective, David wouldn't have come to the roadmap. It wouldn't have been noticed if not because of the grace of God. So I'm going to go back to 2 Samuel 7, verse 18 to 19, and it says, who are my sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. So not only has God elevated David to a position of status, there was also things that God said about David's future. And, you know, one of the things that we know about David's future was the fact that the Messiah came from David's lineage. And what I mean by Messiah is Jesus came from David's lineage. And in fact, typically in Jewish culture, when it comes to the priesthood, they normally come from the line of Aaron or the line of the Levites. And David did not come from that particular lineage, but God found it fit that the priest who is going to be forever interceding for you and I would come through the line of David. And so literally the order changed because of the covenants that God had with David. And so literally when we think about being gracious, God 
took David from what most of us would say a nobody to becoming a somebody. I know you've probably heard that uh, phraseology, especially those of us that are Pentecostals. It's something that we use very often. Uh, David literally went from a nobody to becoming a somebody. And this is also the same for us as well, because in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, the Bible talks about how you and I are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we might be able to declare the praises of him who called us, called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have now received mercy. And that's, brothers and sisters, is the status God has bestowed on every single Christian. We were not once a people, but now we are a people. Now, you might think to yourself, you know, I talked about graciousness as bestowing kindness to someone of a lower class. The reality is there was nothing about us as humans to make us attractive as a result of our sin. There was nothing as humans that made us look pretty, so to speak. I know amongst ourselves, you know, we might say somebody is good looking, somebody is robust, they've got, you know, the good habs, they've got a good face. You know, when you walk past them, it's one of those people that you turn your heads or they've come from a royal family in terms of biological birth. But as far as God is concerned, without Christ, none of those things really matter. However, God has been so gracious to every single person that has given their lives to God to bestow upon them a royal priesthood. And yeah. so you might end up not being on the roadmap for a lot of people. You might end up not being on the roadmap for your boss or for the person that you think you want them to notice you. But God now has put you on the roadmap for himself. And so again, I'm going to read Second First uh, Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, and it says, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. Once we were without mercy, now we have mercy. And I think, brothers and sisters, this is a huge privilege that we've been chosen. There is an holy calling upon our lives. There is an holy inheritance. You know, God has chosen us to himself. And that, for me, is a huge privilege. I'm going to stop there in case anybody has any thoughts, any reflections that they would like to share before we move on to the next attributes, which is compassionate. Well, I just wanted to ask a question about um, the way, what you said about David being chosen and therefore the lineage of Jesus coming from David. So if Saul, Saul kept, was obedient and didn't do, I think it was a sacrifice that he, or he went and did a sacrifice, isn't it, without waiting for Samuel, if that was if I'm correct, would the lineage have come from Saul? That's a good question. Yes. Because one of the things the Bible talks about how is, sorry, not how, but one of the things Samuel said is he had planned 
to establish his throne forever. So put it this way, the Messiah was meant to come anyway. From Genesis, we knew that there was going to be a Messiah. The question is, whose lineage is the Messiah going to come from? Um, is the question. Now, as far as we know, the Messiah was going to reign as king. You know, one of, that's one of the things that God says about the Messiah. He's going to be a, a king, he's going to be a priest, and he's going to be a prophet. You know, so th that idea of kingship is always going to be there. And so if Saul hadn't disobeyed, then I believe very strongly that Jesus would have come through the line of Saul because God's desire was to establish his throne forever. Amazing. Now, the question that I might answer quite bring up is, does that mean God has a plan B? Um, you know, that's the, that's the way I tend to think about it, that, okay, does that mean if I don't do what God has asked me to do? I mean, that's one way of thinking about it. We can think about it from the perspective of David, uh, or we can think about it from the perspective of King, uh, Saul, that let's just think about it from the perspective of Saul, that if I don't do what God has asked me to do, would God raise somebody else and fulfill his purposes? I think most probably. Um, because again, whatever God does, it does it in cooperation with human beings. Uh, it doesn't override our will. Um, you know, and of course there are, there are consequences as well to whatever we did. So let's just say Saul repented. Then even if it didn't happen in terms of the lineage coming through him, God would have still done something marvelous through him. Um, so that's the best way I would explain it. So just to allay that, those fears of, have I missed God? Does that mean if I disobey now, that's it, I'm I've, I've been struck, God's purposes are, you know, forever changed. The reality is, one of the things which we haven't really talked about is, does God change his mind? And most of the times when God has changed his mind, has always been in response to human beings repenting. And so in this Jonah story, God was going to bring about judgments, but God changed his mind for the better because of repentance. So if Saul had repented, and you know we've talked about repentance very uh, thoroughly here, is that is able to make God change his mind, or at least the consequences can be allayed as a result of us changing our will over to God. And that just shows the power of repentance, that you know when we turn away from something that God has told us not to do, that has the ability literally to change the course of history. Um, and that's how powerful this very basic uh, entry topic when it comes to Christianity uh, means. I mean, just think about it, the way we all of us are Christians is because of repentance. We were heading straight to hell, but God in his mercy, as a result of us repenting, we literally changed the course of our, of our lives effectively. Um, so that's things from the perspective of um, Saul's perspective. Um, I'm not sure if there are any questions on this particular one so that we don't just move on uh, without addressing any concerns that people might have or any pushbacks anyway. Um, Okay, so I'm taking the silence as no comments or pushback. The second one is compassionate. Compassionate. You know, a lot of people have gone to length to describe the difference between empathy and sympathy, uh, especially for those of us in psychology. Um, we probably would have had that differentiation. And people tend to talk about empathy as you feeling what the other person is feeling. Um, not just recognizing that this person is experiencing something, but you almost as though you're walking in their shoes. Now, God has gone a step beyond empathy to demonstrate compassionate or compassion. And what does compassion mean? It literally means that God recognizes our helplessness 
and does something about it. Okay, so when we say somebody's compassionate, or at least in the Bible context, when we use the word, when we see the word compassion being used, it talks about how God does something about it. And the example I want to bring in is how the Bible talks about Jesus being compassionate in the New Testament. Um, just because there are about, I think, about six references of Jesus demonstrating uh, compassion. But in the context of our study, it just means God has taken action to remedy our weaknesses. He's taken a step to help us. He's taken a step to minimize our losses. It's not just there to empathize or feel what we feel. And the Bible does talk about how we have a, mess, a, a, a priest that actually feels what we feel. So in those times of weakness, we have Jesus that actually feels, goes through what you felt just because he was tempted in every way. And uh, the difference is Jesus did not sin. Um, so God, we have a God that is a feeler in the sense of he's been through what we would ever go through, um, but he's also provided a way out. But in addition to that, God is also compassionate, meaning God has taken the necessary steps to take us away from that place of weakness into a place of strength, all right? So let's look at examples of Jesus demonstrating compassion in the New Testament. Uh, and I'm just going to give us the references. Um, so there's Matthew 9, verse 36 to 38. Matthew 9, from verse 36 to 38. And... You know, this example is when Jesus heals people um, that had been with him for a considerable time. And in fact, let us read it, actually. Um, Joe, would you mind please reading this one for us? Matthew 9, from verse 36 to 38. Would you? Sorry, just open it up. Matthew 9, 36 to 38. Correct. Hey. When he saw the crowd, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is painful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Thank you. Um, it's interesting. It talks about how it looked to them and they looked like sheep without a without shepherd. A shepherd. Um, and I'm not sure if you've ever felt confused or feeling harassed as a, as a Christian, where you're, number one, you're not sure what choices to make, or you're presented with so many choices, and you've had, is it what they call it, a paralysis of analysis. Um, so as a result, you can't even think straight, or you've had really, really difficult life experiences, and you're trying to reconcile whether or not God is for you. But what we see here is Jesus had compassion on those people because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And one of the ways in which God describes Jesus himself is that is a, is a good shepherd. You know, God wants to guide us into a place of rest. He wants to guide us in a path that is pleasing to him. His very nature is that of a shepherd, someone that wants to tend the sheep. He, he cares so much about our confusion. He cares so much about us being harassed. And one of the ways God demonstrates that care is by the people that he sends into our lives. So, for example, the fivefold ministry, and when I say fivefold ministry, I'm talking about the ministry of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, and the pastor. Those are like gifts that God has given to the church 
as a way of guiding God's people to a place of rest, to a place of being plentiful. And I'm going to emphasize it again, that, you know, the local church is very key for us to be in a place of safety. You know, typically, I mean, I remember David, when David was talking about before he faced Goliath, one of the things David said is whenever the lions came in, it would fight of the lions. God has set people around us by way of our church leaders or ministers to protect us from um, from danger. God has set, you know, the pastors and the teachers to protect us when it comes to false doctrine. You know, the, the reason why people go to Bible college, they go through that thorough education, is because they have gone ahead of us to take the battering that we would ever take when it comes to wrestling with theological matters. You know, I'm just thinking about when I was in Bible college, and I mean, admittedly, because I did a, it was a degree program, you know, there were so many ideas that were counter-cultural in terms of counter-Christian sometimes that they literally had to put us through as a way of allowing us to develop the muscle to address issues that would come up later on. You know, and that's why God has placed pastors, you know, in front of us, sorry, in our local churches or teachers in our churches as a way of protecting us just because the very nature of a minister or a pastor is the fact that they've gone ahead to know where the danger spots are, such that when we are following them, we can follow in a place of safety. And so that's one of the ways in which God demonstrates compassion by the people or the church leaders that is placed around us. And so I just want to emphasize it again, that if you want to encounter God's compassion or God's um, help with helplessness, then maybe perhaps consider surrounding yourself with a community of believers. Because as most of us will know, God will not come down. I mean, he does the miraculous where he does things that are dramatic. But in terms of the day-to-day experiences, he's surrounded us with people that can express his love and his compassion uh, uh, to us. I'm going to leave the floor open. Uh, perhaps anybody has any thoughts or any reflections uh, based on any of the things that I've just said. Or any questions? So I definitely, um, I don't have a question, but I definitely feel that for when you guys prayed for me last week, um, I could definitely feel that compassion and that love. Um, so that makes sense. That makes sense. I'd never experienced anything like that before. Um, so that makes sense. Thank you so much, uh, Vinny, for that. Uh, that's encouraging to hear. Is there anything? Uh, oh, go, Mary. Sorry, go. I was just going to say, um, yeah, I don't want to be the party pooper, but there's also this thing about how you know, like when it comes to church, how you expect people to be loving, caring and compassionate and kind and forgiving. And people tend to leave church or get offended because they're not encountering what they are expecting. So it's just really just to bring that reality that people are people and people are still hurting and people aren't perfect, even if you are a Christian. 
Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Mary, for that. I remember seeing a post earlier this week uh, and last week that um, was just talking. About, this is in context of relationship, and it talked about how um, you shouldn't just marry someone because they go to church, uh, because not every Christian is responding to treatment. Um, and I found that to be to be quite true. And it's interesting, Mary, that you said you know people always be people, and sometimes we find that actually the people of God are the people that would sometimes bring the most pain into our lives. Um, you know, there's Abraham, for example. There was Agar, Abraham's um, mate or Sarah's mate. She was minding our business. Sarah said, Abraham, I want you to go and lay with that woman. It did. And after a while, the woman was like, I don't like Agar. Send her away. And she had to go. And you think to yourself, this are God's people. And... The reality is, of course, it might not be to that extent in churches, but there are different permutations of that in, in some of our churches. But uh, and it can be quite difficult for people to, you know, reconcile the experience in church because people come with an expectation of, but I thought church should be this. But the good news um, in the middle of this is also to say that God does make provision. You know, one of the things the Bible does say about God um, is the fact that it sets the lonely in families. It sets people that are isolated in, in families. And so if, let's say, there is anyone here, and in fact, when we talked about church, we did talk about church hurts last year. And I remember somebody sharing their own experiences. And it's just to say that if you've ever experienced church hurts, you know, do find someone that you can speak to about it. Um because not every church is like the church you've experienced. There's a place that God has destined for each of us that fits us very well uh, to the T. Of course, there might be friction in that process of merging and gelling. Um, just because as we get closer to one another, we can always, we'll always react against one another. But there's a place that God has planted or has designed for each of us that we should be able to flourish in. And it's my desire that we'll be able to look, find that place um, that God has planted for us. But... You know, another aspect of compassion um, is the fact that, you know, Jesus healed the sick. He fed the hungry. Um, and, you know, God takes action to remedy areas of our shame. He takes action to remedy the areas of our guilt, areas of our weakness, areas that you might be like, gosh, I don't want anyone to see these areas. Areas of, gosh, if only somebody was to see this, they wouldn't, they would stop loving me. But it's just to say that, you know, God has taken action. Um, to remedy that. And one of the primary ways that God does that is through Jesus Christ, you know, that Jesus bore all our shame, all our guilt, the things that you feel like you don't want to tell anyone about, you know, those dark secrets. And I'm sure all of us have one of those. Um, even if you've grown up in church, you do have one. I, I hate to break that to you. But, you know, God has taken action uh, to, to remedy that. Uh, I'm going to pause again because um, I know, I think Sabrina was going to share. And so please do uh, come off mute if you are still able to. Yes, yeah, so you were mentioning about how uh, church or leaders, that's it. Because I was just thinking about when I was younger in faith and um, uh, I had a mentor who was very influential in my life and um, but very stern. And at that time, so at times she was, um, but she was loving and everything, but I found she was very disciplined. And although it was tough, I still kept on, was mentored by her for almost 
maybe almost up to 10 years for quite a long time. And she, um, but she was very stern, but very, uh, I didn't really see not too much love, but very stern. And very vividly, like I, I liked some, a guy in church and she just repeatedly told me, you're, you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. <laughs> it used to irk me a lot. Um, but I never, I never said anything like, why am I not ready? But it was one of those things that afterwards I realized, thank you because that did help me, you know, because I know I wasn't ready at, say, 25 at that time. I know people can marry at 25 and be ready, but for me, I wasn't. And I guess that that type of uh, insight, that type of um, mentoring was very helpful. So even things that I've learned from that young age, even now, I see I am more disciplined in certain areas of my life because of her input, because of what she did for me which is, yeah, I advocate mentorship 100%. For especially, well, not especially for young women, but for me, especially with young women today, how I try and mentor young women because of the influential impact this woman had upon my life and other, and other women in my church. Thank you so much, uh, Sabrina. Definitely echo that. We all need mentors. Um, in Even in non-Christian contexts, we definitely need mentors just because... Uh, it saves us having to go through the same headache again. So yeah, no, thank you so much for that. So we've looked at, um, um, the first one was being gracious or graciousness or gracious. We looked at compassionate. The third one is slow to anger. Um, other translations would say long suffering. And I'm hoping to answer one of the questions as to why God takes his time. Uh, and so in Second Peter, actually, if you can all turn to that, Second Peter 3 verse 9. Second Peter 3 verse 9. Now, this might not necessarily answer the question that was raised, but at least it provides perspective on a potential reason why God sometimes takes his time. So if anybody's there to please read to us. Second Peter 3 verse 9. Go on, Jose. Okay. Second Peter verse verse no second Peter three verse nine. Yes, please. Is that correct? Okay. Yes. This is from the NIV version again. Um the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Thank you. Thank you. So the Lord is not slow concerning his promise as somebody, some understand slowness, but his patience towards us is because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so this is one aspect of why sometimes God seemingly delays things from our, at least from our perspective. Just let's put it this way. Imagine we were to pass away before we became Christians or we were to pass away. Oh no. So we were to be alive, but Jesus came whilst we were yet non-Christians or whilst we were non-Christians. The implication of that is we would spend eternity in hell. And part of the reasons why God takes his time when it comes to judging sin or evil generally is because he's giving more people the opportunity uh, to come to saving grace of him. 
in other words, for them to repent. And that's just the very nature of God. That's what it means to be slow to anger. I mean, we talk about people being given a long rope. And that's the very nature of God. God gives us a long rope. And of course, for us as human beings, especially if we've been offended or been a victim of crime, we want that rope to be shorter because human response or human anger naturally wants to have its way when it's been wronged. Um, but from God's perspective, he, he, he extends long suffering or he, he gives people the long rope because it's given people the opportunity to repent. He's given people the opportunity to repent. He's given people the opportunity to change their way. Now, I'm acutely aware that us as human beings, we take advantage of that. So if I did something wrong and nothing has been done to correct it, guess what? We'll do it again. That's just human nature. And in fact, the book of Ecclesiastes acknowledges this fact. Um, so I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11 to 13. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11 to 13. And it says, when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverence before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them. And their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Now, what this person just, uh, what uh, Solomon is just trying to do here is encourage us because sometimes when we see God's long suffering, especially towards the atrocities of others, we're like, why is it taking so long? And as I said, if it's you that is the victim, you, you, you want God's justice as in now, as in speedily. Um, I'm not, for those that might have supported people that have been through divorce, if one party has cheated, sometimes the other party literally wants to claim all the assets, as in they don't want to leave anything behind just because of the pain that the other person has brought. But an aspect of God's nature is the fact that it gives people that room to repent. I saw a, a quote the other day that the people that uh, Saul or Paul killed are going to also be in the same heaven as Paul. I'll say that again. The people that Paul killed um, when he was a persecutor of the church. So the Paul I'm referring to is Apostle Paul that wrote to third of the New Testament. Are going to be the, some of the same people that Paul would eventually see in the age to come. And human emotions would find that out to believe because you're like, you've just massacred so many Christians. In fact, it was there when um, Stephen was being stoned to death. A stoning is brutal. It's, it's not just, okay, somebody's chopping your head off and then therefore the life ceases from your body. It's like slow and gradual pain in different aspects of the body. And it's a prolonged pain. It's almost as though you, you, you're torturing someone, they come back to consciousness and you torture them again to the extent in which they lose consciousness and they eventually die. But the same people that Paul persecuted are exactly the same people that is going to be rubbing shoulders with in the age to come. And us as humans, we find that hard to believe. But God is so slow about bringing anger. 
again, this is not to say that God's long suffering doesn't have an end. It does have an end. I mean, let's, I'm not going to kid you about that. There is a day that God has designed to judge humanity. There is a day of reckoning for literally every single person. However, God in his mercy extends grace upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. I mean, the fact that Jesus told his disciples to forgive people, not just 70 times, but 70 times, seven times, says something about how much times God has actually forgiven us. You know, um, I'm not sure if there are things that you've struggled with in your own personal life. And you'd be like, God, I'm not going to do this again tomorrow. And guess what? The very thing that you say you're not going to do again, you go back to it. And you go back to it again. Not just the next day, but the day afterwards. And you get to a point of actually, you know what? There's no point in repenting because you've broken your own repentance record. But even after that, God still makes room for us. And that's just the very nature of God's long suffering. That because God knows our frame so well, it gives us enough time to be able to repent. Of course, we shouldn't take that lightly because it's not just God's long suffering. There's also the aspect of human hearts where if we keep doing the same thing and again and again, our hearts might become ardent that actually there will be no place for us to actually seek to change. And so that's the other aspect of long suffering that sometimes we ignore that as much as God gives us a long rope, we also need to be mindful of our own hearts because human hearts changes. Human has, has the tendency to become hard to a point in which it doesn't actually want to ask for repentance, okay? So, just to reemphasize this again, is to say to us that God is a God that is willing to suffer long. God is a God that is willing to put up with us. But at the same time, let's not abuse God's long suffering. All right, I'm going to pause there in case there are any thoughts or any reflections um, before we look at the very last area, which is abounding in love. Well, I, I think, think you're speaking, but um, okay. Yeah. We can hear you now. Yes. Yeah. The term um, slow to anger, I thought it was just like the layman terms. When now going through the scriptures, I sort of understand what it means. It's nothing to do with like, it taking time to get angry it's there's more to it so yeah it's just interesting thank you any other thoughts from anyone or any questions or reflections before we look at the very last one um slow to anger and i think that's one of the two words i've kind of used to guide me in my in my walk of God at the moment, and I think it, it um, the lady I just spoke said it's a layman term, but for me also, it's it's two words that always kind of speak to me anytime I open my mouth to say something, slow to anger, or anytime I feel myself in a situation that there's a cause for me not to have a compassion or not to have, you know, not to be speaking a good way of someone. So that even though it's just a kind of simple word, but it's always a constant reminder for myself that slow to anger, not to get in a position that, you know, I'll find myself judging, so to speak. So it, yeah, it's, it's a name and term, but it is, it's a powerful, powerful word. And 
I feel one that I use in my day-to-day life. It's just something I'd like to share, basically. No, thank you. Thank you. And, and I think sometimes what has helped me, very similar to what Jill said, is having experienced God's being slow or long-suffering towards my own weaknesses, it allows me to be able to extend the same to others um, and see, see things in that light, just because I myself have experienced that. And another way in which this word is also expressed is what I mentioned about long-suffering, you know, is able to put up with stuff for a long period of time. Uh, in fact, for an extended period of time, um, in fact. And, you know, that's just the very nature of God. He is, is slow to anger, is long-suffering, is, is able to give us a long rope. He doesn't have his short fuse, where as human beings, once we get irritated, you know, I just don't want to see you anymore. He doesn't have that short fuse. He has a, a long fuse. And I'm not sure most of us have, we've burnt that fuse quite a few times, but the fuse keeps coming back to life, you know, and, and that's, the, you know, just his very nature. I'm going to stop there. Um, so I, please, just to give a bit of room and space before we uh, move on to the next segment. Um, but I'll just recap on the three things that I've mentioned, uh, three aspects of God's character or what God is like. So the first one is gracious. God is kind and pleasant, especially towards us of lower status. Um, and King David is a good example uh, where he was a nobody and God elevated him to, to a high position. And it's not just King David that God has elevated. God has also elevated us as God's people from you know, an outcast of not knowing God to a place of honor where we are able to sit with him or with Jesus in high places. So that's God also demonstrating graciousness uh, towards us. The second one uh, is compassion. You know, God does something about our weaknesses. He doesn't leave us helpless. You know, the idea that he sends Jesus, uh, the very, you know, act of sending Jesus is him doing something about uh, our weaknesses. And, you know, a local church is always an expression of God's compassion towards us. Um, and then the last one for today, we're going to look at abandoning love next week. Um, is the fact that God is slow to anger and, yeah, is slow to execute judgment on, on sin. And, you know, as I said, we would have had the experience of, you know, burning so many fuses with God. But yet it keeps uh, running after us. All right. So I'm going to leave the floor open. Perhaps there's any thoughts, any reflections. Any questions, any musings, you can think out loud if you want um, before um, I hand over to Susan or Susanna. Just a word, and I think from tonight, what you talked about, for that one, it just happened that one song that ran through my head was The Goodness of God, that kind of summarized literally the three things that we we've gone through the compassion of the compassion of god the grace of god the uh, graciousness of god and slow to anger and that song just literally you know and even if you look out through the lyrics you know of that song it just literally summarized everything the goodness of god and those all three goodness of god that we need daily in our life in so many ways you know so that starts thinking out loud Amen to that. We do need the goodness and the graciousness of God every single day. And the good thing is it's always new every single day. So there's always fresh mercies uh, every single day. Okay. 
Thanks, Joe. So we will stop the recording now, um, and then I'll hand over to Susan. Um, we will take us through the next phase of our meeting together.